In this final section of chapter four, we wanted to introduce the mathematics of the reflection and transmission of waves, and that's a lot easier to understand if you first understand the concept of impedance. If you've read the previous section, you saw impedance, z equals the square root of mu t, where mu is the mass density and t is the tension, fall naturally out of the equation for the power in a mechanical wave. But to understand the physical significance of impedance, you should think about what happens when the source of a mechanical wave tries to introduce a displacement in the medium. For example, the source could be your hand lifting a string, or it could be the tine of a tuning fork pushing on the air around it. You know from the previous sections of this chapter that the elastic forces of the medium work to maintain or restore the equilibrium condition. And to induce the wave motion, the source must exert its own force to overcome this drag force of the medium. The first equations in this section show how you can analyze this interaction between the source and the medium in the case of transverse waves on a string. As shown in the text, the y component of the tension force can be written as f sub y equals t sine theta, which is t times the partial of y with respect to x. Using equation 418 from the previous section, along with the expression for phase speed from section 4.2, the tension Fy can be written as minus the square root of mu t times the transverse speed, as shown in equation 425. To induce the transverse wave motion, the source must produce a force in the opposite direction to that of this drag force, so that's why we write F sub y source equals minus F sub y. Inserting f sub y source into equation 4.25, the minus signs cancel, and you can solve for the square root of mu t. That's the impedance of the medium. You can see that written as z in equation 4.26, and it's equal to the ratio of the force needed to induce the wave displacement to the transverse speed of the medium, v sub t. So the higher the mechanical impedance of the medium, the more force it takes to produce a given transverse speed. But as we say in the text, once the source has induced a certain transverse speed in the medium, equation 423 tells you that a high impedance string carries more power than a low impedance string. So the impedance z is a useful parameter, and that's especially true if you want to analyze the reflection and transmission of waves at interfaces between media of different characteristics. To prepare for that analysis, you may find it helpful to review the main ideas related to impedance. Those are that the medium produces a drag force that's proportional to the transverse velocity and in the opposite direction, and the constant of proportionality between the force and the transverse velocity is the impedance. So, what can you do with that information? Well, consider the three situations shown in figure 4.8. Notice that in these cases, we've drawn the source on the left, and the string does not extend to infinity. In the top two cases, it's attached to a wall, either rigidly or loosely, and in the bottom case, it's attached to another string with different characteristics. We've also shown a wave pulse moving to the right, and the question we'd like to answer is what happens when that pulse or any other wave encounters the right end of the string, either at the wall or at the junction to the second string. The first step in answering that question is to recall the relationships between the displacement, transverse velocity, and transverse acceleration for the sinusoidal wave motion in figure 4.3 back in section 4.2. By looking at the location of the peaks and zero crossings of the displacement and of the velocity and of the acceleration, you can see that the phase of the displacement and acceleration are plus or minus 90 degrees away from the phase of the velocity. 
And since the drag force is proportional to minus V, that means that the phase of the drag force also differs by 90 degrees from the phase of the displacement and the acceleration. Why is that important? Well, take a look at figure 4.9. In the top portion, the string extends to infinity, but in the bottom three cases, the string is terminated, and the missing portion of the string is shown as a dashed line. So, is there anything we can do to make a wave on the left portion of the string behave as though the string extends to infinity? That is, is there anything we can attach to the end of the string that will produce the same drag force as the missing portion of the string would have produced had we not taken it away? As it says in the text, tying a mass to the string doesn't work, because Newton's second law tells you that the force on an inertial mass is proportional to the acceleration rather than to the velocity of the mass, and we found earlier that the drag force of the missing portion of the string is proportional to minus V, not to the acceleration. Another thing that doesn't work is to attach a spring to the end of the string, because Hooke's law tells you that for a spring, the force is proportional to the displacement from equilibrium rather than to the velocity. So what can we attach to the string to produce a drag force that looks just like the drag force that would have been produced by the missing portion of the string? The answer is a dash pot, a device that produces a resistive force that's proportional to the velocity, but acts in the opposite direction. Most dash pots use viscous friction to provide that resistive force, so that's why we show the dash pot in figure 4.9 as a piston immersed in a fluid. With the dash pot in place, we have a resistive force proportional to minus V, exactly as we'd have if the string extended to infinity. And by adjusting the value of the dash pot's resistive force, we can match the impedance of the dash pot to the impedance of the string. And waves on the left portion of the string will behave exactly as they would on an infinite string. So what exactly is that behavior? Well, when waves propagate to the right on an infinite string, for example, no reflections are produced. That is, no counter-propagating waves moving to the left are produced, so the same must be true when we're attached to our dash pot. That means that all of the energy of the wave must be absorbed by the dash pot, and none reflected back. That's an interesting result by itself, but it becomes even more useful if we ask what happens if we make our dash pot impedance bigger or smaller than the impedance of the string. In that case, the resistive force of the dash pot still has the proper dependence, that is, it's still proportional to the transverse velocity of the string, but it has a different value of impedance from the left portion of the string. So in that case, waves on the string will behave as though the left portion of the string is attached at its right end to another string of different impedance, as shown in figure 4.10. In that case, a portion of the original rightward traveling wave is reflected from the interface, and the size of the reflected wave is determined by the difference in the impedances, as shown in equation 4.27. As you can see from that equation, if the two impedances are equal, that is if Z1 equals Z2, the amplitude reflection coefficient is zero and no reflected wave is created. But if Z2 is much less than Z1, then the amplitude reflection coefficient is approximately equal to one and the reflected wave has the same amplitude as the original wave. Likewise, if Z2 is much greater than Z1, then the amplitude reflection coefficient is approximately equal to minus one, and the reflected wave is an inverted copy of the original wave. We also show the amplitude transmission coefficient, which determines the amplitude of the transmitted wave. We call that lowercase t in equation 428, and that varies from zero if Z2 is much greater than Z1 to plus two if Z2 is much less than Z1. 
We apply this to strings terminated in various waves in the text after equation 4.28, and you can also see a numerical example showing how this works when you insert a heavy string segment into the middle of a light string. The last thing we do in this section is to consider the power carried by the reflected and transmitted waves, which you can determine using the power transmission coefficient, uppercase t, in equation 4.29, and the power reflection coefficient, which we call uppercase r, shown in equation 4.30. And, if you'd like, you can make sure that you know how to use these concepts and equations by working through the problems at the end of this chapter. And if you're interested in electromagnetic waves, we'll talk to you in chapter 5.